who wouldn't be uh, keen to just travel for free and being paid for that? You know, it was the absolute dream job. Welcome to the Greener Grass podcast from Bluebird Botanicals. I'm your host, Lex Pelger. Johan Lolos is a photographer who has captured the peaks of Europe in his lens. He's led a workshop chasing the auroras around Norway. He delivered an excellent TED Talk, and he began his photographic journey through Australia and New Zealand. Not only are his photos stunning, but his story is instructive. In today's episode, Johan explains how his passion, relationship building, and craftsmanship have allowed him to live life full-time as a traveler. To chase wild dreams and live a beautiful life, Sometimes you have to get good at something and take it as far as it can go. That's what Johan Lolos did, and here is his tale. This show is brought to you by Bluebird Botanicals to spread education about cannabis and other things on the greener side of life. Bluebird CBD oil comes from farms in southern Colorado and is grown using only water, soil, and sunlight. Go to bluebirdbotanicals.com for more info. Hello, everybody. I'm very happy to be here with Johan Lolos. Thanks for joining us. Thanks. Hello, everyone. All right. Can you tell us where you are right now? Uh, well, I'm just sitting in my office in Belgium uh, in, a, in a city called Liège. And uh, yeah, just, uh, just behind my computer right now. But oftentimes, you're out on mountain peaks and places like that. And so my first question was, what did you want to be when you were little? And did it involve any of this mountain climbing work? Well, uh, no, it didn't. When I was uh, when I was a kid, I was just uh, you know living my life in Belgium with my parents, and I didn't really have any big dreams or anything like that. I just wanted to to go to university and uh, got a degree and you know make a make a nice living. But never I would have imagined that I would be making a living out of my photography one day. So I didn't really pursue any dreams uh, from being a kid. No. When did photography start to become an interest for you? Well, I would say, actually, photography was already an interest for me when I was a kid. As far as I could remember, when I was going on holidays with my parents, I was always carrying like this kind of disposable camera. And uh, I was the one in the family taking the photos and filming for everyone. But uh, photography as a job really becoming uh, really interesting for me when I was uh, at university and it became professionally when I was starting traveling uh, five or six years ago from now. And so what was the, the first trip that you took? Well, in 2013, uh, I just got my degree from public relations and I just bought a one-way ticket to Australia, uh, not to pursue anything in photography, but just because I was curious and I wanted to see the world and travel. So basically, I was 25 at the time and I had never left Europe by then and I just wanted to, to see the world and travel. So I, I booked my, my one-way ticket to Australia, to Melbourne, and, uh, and the goal was to stay uh, and travel within Australia for one year and see what will happen next. Wow. So can you tell me um, how the trip went for you? Well, it was very exciting, obviously. Uh, there were uh, a few downs and, and a few ups, as you can imagine. But uh, basically, when I arrived in Melbourne, uh, I was just a, a backpacker, basically. And I wanted to find uh, those kind of backpacker jobs and working in a pizza, uh, pizza, a pizza shop or 
working as a barista, something like that. But I just couldn't find any job because there was peak season for backpackers and all backpackers from all over the world were just arriving in Australia. It was uh, early October, so the start of summer there. And uh, for two or three months, I was I was just in Melbourne trying to find a job and I couldn't find anything. So I wanted to find a way that would maybe eventually uh, allow me to travel not for free, but at least cheaper and, and especially further. Because when I left Europe uh, to go on this round the world tour, uh, I had little savings and that's all. I, I, I wanted and I, I needed to travel for many years with only 7,000 euro in my bank account. And living in Melbourne costs a lot of money. So I knew I wasn't going to, to last long in Melbourne with just my savings. So I needed to find a solution for that. And so you hit the, the trail of backpackers that, that circle around Australia. Yes, exactly. So uh, for a few months in Melbourne, where I lived there for, for four months, uh, I was just basically stuck in my uh, little apartment with my roommates. And I was trying to find this idea that would, make, that would allow me to travel for free. And one day I decided to create a travel blog, more a travel webzine actually. Uh, and the idea was to, to, to gather a group of 30 travel bloggers, not professional ones, but just a hobby, hobbyist uh, writing about the, the travel experience on the blog. And, and for that, I partnered with, a, with an administrator of a Facebook page, which was just called ET, which means summer in French. And this guy had 2 million Facebook, pay, uh, Facebook fans on Facebook. And I just partnered with him. And, uh, and so basically overnight, I just became the administrator of a 2 million Facebook page. And that allowed me to give something more in return to that group of travel bloggers that decided to go on this new adventure for me. And, uh, and thanks to that, uh, well, that opened a, a lot of doors for me because... Uh, the founder of another travel webzine in France, uh, which was called Voyager Loin, the, the website, uh, he contacted me after the launch of, uh, of this blog I had created by myself. And he asked me to join forces and uh, to join his team. And that was the biggest travel French website at the time. And that got me access to a lot, a lot of activities for free. Uh, so that's how it started for me. And from that point, I started to travel all around Australia. Wow. It's fascinating how uh, your work just flowed into becoming a lifestyle and one that you could follow. Um, and I was curious, what's, what was it like to be um, wrangling all of these other photographers who are doing work all over the place and to be running this social media uh, thing for them? Well, uh, it, it was still very new, though. Uh, so at the time, I was obviously running the, the social media for them, but mostly I was writing actually about my travel experiences in Australia and I was taking some photos. Uh, it was just uh, a win-win basically for them and for me where they would get free content from me and I would get uh, the exposure that these guys could offer me. And with that exposure, I would, I would be able to get free access to activities or discounts on rental cars and stuff like that. Uh, but obviously when I started running the Instagram account and my own Instagram account. Well, it was something very new back in 2014 at the time. And uh, I quickly realized how, how, how much potential there was 
for for them for me to maybe start something new and uh and make maybe a living out of that your career actually started more with instagram and getting a lot of followers and then the big magazines like national geographic started noticing what was it like to to be transitioned between these two different types of work and getting your work out there well it was actually very exciting but uh most especially it was it, it happened in parallel so basically my instagram blew up at the exact same time that the big media uh, discovered my work and how it happened it's just it's just thanks to instagram but just imagine i was uh i was on instagram with maybe less than a thousand followers uh traveling around australia and my goal was to 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 have my work being seen, obviously. So I was using all those hashtags that you can use. And at the time, NatGeo had uh, their weekly hashtag. It was, I think, hashtag NatGeo travel pick, uh, something like that. And every Wednesday, they would feature one of the photos of the user that would have used uh, that specific hashtag. And my goal was to be uh, to be featured by them. And one day I just woke up, I, was, I remember I was in Sydney, and, uh, and I just woke up and NatGeo had just featured one of our photos. And that exact same day, my Instagram account blew up. Uh, so that's how everything started, basically. Wow, congratulations. Um, oh, thanks, yeah, amazing memory. Um, and what, what's it like for an Instagram account to blow up like that? I mean, how does it change your travels and your interactions with all the people following you? Uh, it, it's something very weird, actually, because you're you starting to realize that you have an audience following you and uh, and they really want to know what's up in your life and what's up in your travels. So uh, I was basically talking to them, just I would talk to uh, family and friends that would be keen to, you know, to, to just follow and, and, and have updates from my travels. So every day I remember I would post up to th- three or four times a day back at the time, uh, just giving my followers some updates on where I would I would be or what I would do or uh, offering someone to meet up with me somewhere in Australia or something like that. So it was very strange and very exciting at the same time because it was so much. It was new for me and new for the industry as well. I mean, remember it was five years ago. So uh, well, Facebook was already huge, but Instagram was just starting at the time. It's very true because one of the things that's striking about your Instagram feed is how many different types of photography and interests seem to be there for you. Lots of beautiful landscapes, but also people and animals and a little bit of your own life and travels. And it's really, indeed. you can see why people would be so so taken with it. Yes, indeed. And uh, and well, at the time in Australia, it was not even, I mean, I, I wouldn't consider myself as a photographer five years ago. So I was just a traveler. Uh, well, my name was Le Backpacker. It still is, but it was uh, the reason I chose Le Backpacker is because I just considered myself being just a traveler, a backpacker. And uh, if you scroll back five years ago on my Instagram, all the photos I would share would just be random photos of a traveler uh, sharing his last amazing experience. Uh, uh, that would I don't know what what did I share? Like uh, I went on a on a shark cage diving trip just to 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 see the the white char- the great white sharks in the ocean and that's probably something i wouldn't share now but back then i was i would just be sharing the the everything about the experience like from uh, from the time i go on the boat to the to the, to the time i just back at the hotel and uh, and uh, editing my photos uh because i was just a traveler wanting to share everything with my audience 
now, five years later, I consider myself more as a photographer first, uh, who has uh, work to do for his clients. And I use Instagram nowadays to basically showcase my work. I use Instagram as a portfolio, basically, uh, not as a kind of a blog. Basically, Instagram five years ago was a, a visual blog for me. Wow. And it is beautiful. I'm still scrolling through them. And it's just one of the most lovely feeds. Thanks. Thanks. Um, and so, and I was curious, you mentioned about the editing. When you were first getting started, what uh, camera gear were you using? And what was it like to pick up about how to do photo editing? Okay, so uh, when I arrived in Australia, I already had some quite good gear. Uh, I, I already had a, a full-frame DSLR. Uh, at the time, it was a Nikon D600, if I remember well. Uh, and I had a, a couple of lenses, but not professional ones, just uh, th those standard lenses that uh, are very light and, and handy to travel with. And that's all, I think. I didn't own any drone, obviously. I didn't own uh, not even a GoPro. It was just one DSLR, and I would uh, carry it everywhere. One DSLR and two lenses, that's all. At the end of your year in Australia, what was it feeling like to be going home with all of these followers and real media contacts? Well, the thing is, after my year in Australia, I didn't go back home. Uh, I kept traveling for another year. So from Australia, I went to New Zealand, where I spent another year, and things were starting to become professional for me. So when I arrived in Australia, uh, oh, sorry, when I arrived in New Zealand, after one year of traveling in Australia, I had 25,000 followers. And again, you know, that was five years ago, so... 25,000 followers was huge at the time and many, many partners or tourism boards or anything related to travel basically would reach out to me and, uh, and offer me a partnership or a collaboration. So I could feel that there was a high potential to maybe make a living out of that. And, uh, and basically three months after I arrived in New Zealand, I decided to settle down in a little village in the mountains called Wanaka. And that's where things really became uh, real and professional for me. So that's where my first clients started to reach out with uh, paid jobs. Uh, that's where I decided to uh, also visit a bit of the surrounding countries like the Pacific Islands uh, for jobs and, uh, and uh, assignment shoots. And, uh, and then basically after those two years spent in Australia, New Zealand, I came back to Belgium with a bit more than 100,000 followers. And, and I just continued my work as a photographer slash Instagrammer, even though that's a, that's a word I don't really like. Oh, wow, I didn't realize you didn't even come home. How is your family with you being on the road this long? Well, uh, they were stoked, obviously, for me to, to go back home. And, uh, and the good thing is they didn't even know I was coming back home. So I just wanted to make, the, to, to make a surprise. And, uh, and the very day I left New Zealand after two years, I just told my parents, hey, guys, I'm just, uh, I, I finished. My, my visa is ending uh, in New Zealand. I'm going for another year now, but in Canada. So they were expecting me to just uh, to, to fly from Auckland, New Zealand to Vancouver. And uh, so they were, they had no idea I was coming back home. And yeah, I just arrived home and say, hey guys, hello, I'm just back. And they were just super, super, super emotional. So it was great memories. Well played. That's very sweet. Mean yeah. and very sweet. Yeah, I mean, it's not mean. It's just, uh, yeah, well, I just wanted to, 
to be uh yeah funny <laughs> i don't know <laughs> no it heightens the tension it sounds lovely um yeah. and so then you were you got to home base then around europe for the next couple months and that's when you started the peaks of europe project uh no peaks of europe arrived a few a few uh months later i, I would say even almost two years later uh when i arrived back in belgium it was the end of 2015 and uh and from that point to uh, may 2017 we was the beginning of peaks of europe i, I kept traveling for business and, uh, and for clients so i spent a few months in canada eventually uh and uh i, I traveled a bit abroad to iceland uh, norway uh namibia uh, a few a few trips to the alps obviously but uh it was mainly assignment trips and it really I, I was really missing um the original travel experience that i had experienced in australia and new zealand so i really wanted to to go back on a on a trip that would feel like my own trip not being on a commercial on a silent shoot and that's where i came up with the idea of traveling for five months all around Europe and uh, designing my own project. So that idea, uh, it arrived late 2016, so about a year after I came back to Belgium. Ah. And so before you hear more about that, I'd be curious what it was like for you to be out on assignment for the first time, working as a professional, getting used to the field. Uh, it was a, a mix of, uh, of two feelings one was obviously super stoked because you get paid to travel and uh and it's it's great fun you, you meet a lot of people and uh i mean you know who who wouldn't be uh keen to just travel for free and being paid for that you know it was the absolute dream job uh although because i had experienced so much freedom and liberty during my two years of travel in oceania i knew that something was missing like being on assignment well i was paid that was the positive aspect of that but the negative aspect was i was obviously under pressure for a client because i had deliverables to to deliver and i was being under pressure because of many many things like the weather the light uh the the time frame like usually when you're on assignment it's never more than 10 days big big uh, maximum time usually it's uh, five to seven days and all the all those things gave me a lot of pressure and uh, i just didn't feel like i was traveling anymore i knew i was traveling but i was mainly working i was just overseas on a shoot that's all and I, I didn't feel like traveling. I didn't. Uh, I wasn't learning any new culture. I wasn't meeting any local. It was just meeting, uh, you know, clients and uh, other photographers. But it was not traveling, and that's why I really wanted to go back to a more real travel experience. On, on those various trips, were there any places you discovered that you definitely want to get back to that you didn't know much about, and it got you excited? Of course, like Norway, definitely. Uh, and it quickly became one of my favorite countries in the world. Uh, and the first time I went to Norway was actually on assignment for the tourism board of Northern Norway, which was a nice trip. And I had some of the best memories of my life there. Uh, the only thing is, you know, you, you, are, you cannot decide anything about your itinerary when you're on assignment. And it's, it's fine, you know. I, I, nowadays, I still have... I would say half of my year is for assignment shoots and, uh, and the other half is for personal projects. And I think that's the perfect balance for me today. But doing what I did two years ago or three years ago 
with one full year of assignments, uh, I was just feeling lost, you know. Mm. And so Peaks of Europe was the perfect antidote to that. Exactly. Can you talk about how that started and, and how the trip began for you after you had the idea? Well, uh, the idea came because I felt like I needed to uh, focus more about my own continent. I had spent uh, well, a few years, as I said, abroad in a far, away, far, far away from Europe. And I figured out that I actually didn't really know Europe myself uh, that well. Well, I had traveled in Europe before, uh, before I started to, to travel professionally, but never as a photographer, always just as a traveler or a tourist, you know. And I knew like countries I, I knew really good, like Greece, for example. Well, I didn't know that Greece at all as a photographer. And I wanted to rediscover those countries with a, new, with a fresh new eye uh, as a photographer. And that's how the idea came about. I, I figured that next summer, so basically the summer of 2017, I would spend it uh, in Europe in countries that I know and some that I've never been before. And the goal would be to just uh, witness the the diversity of the landscapes of Europe and of the culture of Europe. And that's how I came up with the idea of dividing the whole trip in three legs. Uh, the first one would be focusing on the northern countries, the second one in the Balkans, and the third one of the countries of the Alps. And you did this all uh, on a road trip with a car, correct? Yes, although the first leg uh, was uh, was yeah three smaller road trips but basically had to fly to those countries like Iceland or northern Norway or Scotland uh, I could have taken uh, ferries obviously to get there but I would have just waste so much time uh, I think it's like one full week of, uh, of ferry to get to Iceland by boat so uh, I knew I knew my time was limited so I, I wanted to make the most out of it and that's why I, I just decided to to uh, fly to Scotland, uh, to Iceland, and to Norway. And then when I came back after those six weeks in the north, uh, well, the, the real road trip started with me taking the, the 4x4 from Belgium and driving all the way down to Greece. And from Greece, I, I drove up back north, following the northern, uh, like the Balkans and then the Alps. Wow. What was it like to come? Because your, your family background is from Greece, correct? Exactly. Yeah. So my both my parents are from Greece, and uh, and all my my childhood and my teenage, I spent it to Greece every summer, basically. And uh, and the real the the funny thing is uh, that it has it had been I think nine or ten years that I didn't uh, I didn't go back to Greece. Basically, all my twenties, I didn't go to Greece at all. And uh, the reason for that is because I was at uni, and then I had different parallel projects here in Belgium uh, during the summer and then I started to travel so yeah I just didn't have time for Greece and you know after nine or ten years not being to your uh, to the country of your parents you just uh, starting feeling kind of homesick although I never really lived there but for example one of my grandparents is still um, my grandfather still lived uh, in Greece and it had been nine years I hadn't seen him so I, was, I thought yeah it's, it's the right time to go and, uh, and say hi Oh, that's great that you got to see family as well at the at yes. that point. Yeah, yeah, very great, and uh, it was uh, it was nice to to catch up with him. And uh, although I just spent three days uh, in the city where he lives, but it was it was just great. 
And I, just, I spent during Peaks of Europe three weeks uh, in total in Greece. And, uh, and those are some of the best weeks, although landscape-wise, it was not super, super crazy. I mean, for me, it's not as inspiring as uh, the northern countries can be. But uh, I learned a lot in Greece, especially for portrait photography. And that was one of my questions is, what is a typical day like when you're out there and you're simply hunting for shots? How do you go about figuring out what landscapes or what people or how to make your decision that day and where to go? Well, there's a lot of research uh, beforehand. There, I do a lot of research. I, I try to find inspiration online a lot asking local people a lot as well. So basically, uh, when I travel, it's very rare that I just travel with no goal uh, at all. It's, uh, I, I usually have a list of places that I would love to see and maybe even shoot. And, uh, and based on that list, I would decide if that location is better for sunrise shoot or sunset shoot. And that is the starting point of everything, basically. So let's say I'm in Greece and I have this location I want to shoot. Well, I know that uh, the ideal time for that location is sunrise. I know that I will have to drive to that location, spend the night close to it, wake up early for sunrise, go shoot that location. Uh, that would just last two or three hours and then uh, go back to where I settle down. Like, let's say it's a camping ground or or some, uh, some hotel nearby, or I don't know. And then uh, I would just, you know, rest a bit, have breakfast, edit the photos, and already scouting uh, the next location, and then drive to the next location and repeat. And it's good to hear that part, because it's easy to make this sound so glamorous, but it, even on the personal projects, it's so much work, and it, I bet it can take a lot out of you. Indeed, and that's a real job. I mean, uh, photographers, especially landscape photographers, they spend so much, so much in research, and uh, and and that's the the hard part of the job. It's even though you spend hours on research, and then you get to the right location at the right time, you never know if the weather will be good. You never know if the light will be good. So most of the time, you end up being frustrated because you don't have the photos that you had in mind. And uh, either you have time and you can afford spending another another day, maybe another week at the location until you get the right shot, or you just cannot afford and you have to keep driving. And, uh, and most of the case, it was most of the time it was my my case. I didn't have time to to stay a few more nights at the location, so I had to drive up and keep going because I was limited on time. You were on the road for 145 days through 17 countries and 40,000 kilometers traveled <laughs> and yes. so uh, especially in the Balkans and the Alps were there any spots that really stood out to you that you weren't expecting that you think you might get back to definitely especially in the Balkans because except for Greece uh, I was discovering all those countries Croatia Albania Montenegro Slovenia uh, all those countries I had never been before and uh, so obviously I didn't really know what to expect Albania was a beautiful surprise, uh, although I had to, to spend only four days there, four or five days. But it was an amazing surprise landscape-wise. And also people-wise, actually, because the people there were amongst the most uh, welcoming people of the whole trip. And landscape, you know, I, I, I went to Albania thinking... Uh, 
well, I actually didn't know what to think of Albania. I didn't really see any photos before, and uh, I was just, it was just another country on my on my way to the north and to the Alps. So I, I, I stopped Albania. I had a, a few locations that I listed, but uh, not many expectations. And when I arrived in one of those national parks, it's called uh, Tet National Park. It, got, it, it just blew my mind. It was so wild, and the mountains were so huge. Uh, it really reminded me of some of the, the French and Spanish Pyrenees. It's, uh, it was a hiker's paradise and photographer's paradise. So beautiful surprise. I would love to go back to Albania. Another beautiful surprise was Slovenia, one of the cleanest and greenest country that I've never seen. Uh, it really reminded me a lot of New Zealand, uh, the, green, the green mountains of New Zealand, uh, but even greener. Well, it doesn't have the dramatic fjords and the, and the dramatic high mountains. It's uh, relatively small mountains, although it's part of the Alps already. But the, the, the nature and the, the wilderness there, it was just out of this world. So those two countries, I would love to go back for sure. Those sound like great recommendations. Yeah. And so once you finish your trip and you had, oh, I can't even imagine how many photographs, what was it like to try to start transforming that into a photo book? Well, man, that was a nightmare. <laughs> I, came up, I came back with uh, almost 30,000 photos from that trip. And uh, well, I didn't know yet when I came back that I would, uh, I would make uh, a book out of that trip. I didn't know that yet. The, my followers came up with the idea and they suggested that I, would, uh, I should gather uh, the very best photos from Peaks of Europe and create a book. So I decided to maybe give it a go and start contacting some publishers that would maybe be interested in the story. And I found one, one, uh, one, uh, one publisher from my country. And they decided to publish the book, and then we agreed on an amount of pages and amount of photos that would be included in the book. And that amount was 200 images. So I had to select 200 images out of 30,000 images. And uh, that can quickly become a nightmare. And I think I spent three months just selecting the photos. It was a, yeah, it was a hard job. And I think still today, that is being the hardest thing that I've never done in my life. But I'm still super happy, super proud. And I would just, uh, if my producer say, we go for another book, I'm the first one to sign. But that was hard. Wow. That's good to yeah. hear. I mean, yeah, because. Yeah, yeah. So guys, <laughs> please buy the book because it was a, it was a hard job to, to get it started and sorted. So yeah, very, very happy with yeah, the Yeah, and it's, anyway. uh, it's still available. And so we'll have a link to the book in the episode notes for anybody who wants to get it. It is so worth it. Uh, it's a beautiful book. Thanks. Um, and so uh, what did you start doing then after, as you were working on the book and thinking about your next steps? Well, uh, as I said, the book took a long time. So I started working on the book in October 2017 and it got released in April of uh, last year, 2018. And from that point, I thought, oh, cool, I'm going on a new trip uh, in the summer and maybe, I don't know if there's going to be a book or something, but at least I'm going on a new adventure. The only thing that I didn't really plan is that last May, I bought a house and that was not planned at all. It's just that uh, my partner and I, we just fell in love with a cute little house uh, close to my hometown and we decided to buy it. So we've spent the last seven or eight months just focusing on the house and renovating it. And uh, it took a long time. 
And finally, two weeks ago, we moved in the house, which is now finished. So I had nothing planned for the second half of 2018. So nothing really exciting to share right now, or except for the house, which is like the super massive big project for me. But uh, obviously, and hopefully, a new project will come up very soon for this year. Wow. Congratulations on the house. That sounds wonderful. That's a great way to spend Thanks. seven months. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Yeah, it's, uh, it, was a, it was a great way and super exciting. And, and we, we basically uh, renovated everything ourselves with my parents and my uh, parents-in-law and my partner. And uh, yeah, it took a lot of uh, effort. A lot of time and a lot of money, obviously, but uh, we're super proud with the results, so it's cool. And actually, I just had, I think, two more things that you were up to that I, w- I was curious about. One is your Aurora photo workshop that you uh, you did. So you were running a workshop chasing the Auroras around the north? Correct, yes. So I, I led that workshop last last year, actually. It was uh, mid, mid-February of 2018, uh, it was the second workshop that I ran, the first one being in New Zealand uh, late 2016. Uh, and, you know, nowadays there's a lot of photographers running workshops and, uh, and I think that's a, a nice way to, to be close to your audience and, uh, and learn things and, and teach, uh, teach your, your skills to your audience that want to, to learn. Uh, but personally, I didn't want to to just do that every month of the year and every year of my life. Uh, I, re- I really wanted to just do one, maximum two workshops a year because what I noticed from other photographers is they, they keep going back to the same place for their workshops. And something I'm very scared myself is uh, starting to being bored of those places. And for example, Norway or New Zealand, which are amongst... Uh, the two of my favorite countries in the world, I would be so sad to one day just being bored of going there for a job, whether it's uh, on assignment or whether it's a workshop. So I decided to just run one workshop in New Zealand, one workshop in Norway so far. There will maybe be uh, another one uh, this year, maybe in another country. I'm, I'm still not sure. But uh, yeah, I think for me the the balance is running one one workshop a year and uh, last year was the the one you just mentioned with a uh, with the aurora chasing the aurora in northern norway for for the people uh, that had never seen the auroras before and wanted to see them and shoot them and uh, it was an amazing amazing trip it was 10 day uh 7 days sorry 7 days spent with a group of 8 uh teaching them everything and anything so most of them were uh were newbies they were starting out photography a few of them were uh, semi-professional so they already knew how to use uh, the camera but you know it's really open to anyone so whether you're starting out in photography and you just bought your first camera or you already shoot for for clients and you just want to spend good time with other photographers uh, and traveling uh, around well it's open to anyone so it was a it was a great experience and so you found that you enjoyed teaching and showing people the ropes I really do, yeah. I really do, and uh, I would love to maybe do uh, two, two workshops a year. I, I mean, that's something that I really enjoy, and uh, only not only I teach through those workshops and photo tours, but I also do private workshops here in Belgium or, or anywhere in the world, basically uh, private ones. Or also, I also give a lot of conferences uh, for professionals or for just uh, students as well. Uh, and that's something that I really enjoy. It's not about uh, 
Uh, I mean, it's about sharing, but it's most of all, it's about teaching and, 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 uh, and sharing your skills and uh, inspiring people. And that's something that I, I really like doing. Uh, and speaking of inspiring people, my last question was going to be about your TEDx talk in uh, February yes. 2018, where you really inspired people. Lot, lots of uh, lots of interest, lots of watches. What was it like to to get on the TEDx stage? Oh man, that was the most stressful day of my entire life. <laughs> that, honestly, uh, that was so scary. I I did. I never really enjoyed uh, when I was a student speaking in front of a big audience and uh yeah i always try to avoid that and when uh the guys from tedx namur which is a city in belgium reached out to me uh, a bit more than a year ago asking me to be one of the speakers for the 2018 edition i was like oh yeah cool let's do that uh, like you know by then uh, which was like three or four months later by then i'm sure i will be super comfortable speaking uh to a big audience you know and uh, and for some reason, I had so much going on, and I was uh, I was called on assignments everywhere, and I didn't really have the time to to prepare and work on the on the talk. And uh, basically, I think three days before the big event, I was like, "I'm going to cancel. I haven't prepared anything. I I cannot do that. I cannot speak to 700 people in front of me. Uh, it's just impossible. I'm gonna die." And so I'm I'm sending an email to the to the organizers and I say, "Guys, I'm so sorry. I'm just not ready. Let's do that again next year, but it's not going to be possible for this year. I'm not ready at all." And the guy was like, "There's no way you cancel. You're gonna make it." Uh, come today and we're going to practice together and you know like we have a coach and he's going to he's going to teach you many things and it's going to be great I was like oh I'm not sure about that but okay let's go so I went to the to the to, to the places that very day and I met the coach and uh, and he helped me a lot honestly he helped me a lot and came the very the very big day the event day and uh, I remember I, I, need, I was going to speak at right 5pm or something like that and I woke up that day at 5 a.m. And I didn't know my text at all. And I was, I, I woke up my girlfriend and I say, Delphine, I need to practice every day from now, every, every hour from now until 5 p.m. So you have to be my audience for the next 12 hours. I think I repeated that speech like 100 or 200 times in a row. And eventually, I finally thought like, maybe I'm ready to do it. Uh, I don't know, but it was at the end of the time. I mean, it's easy because I was just telling my story. You know, I didn't have to to learn something by heart. I was just super stressed stressed of talking in front of a big audience, and um, and I don't know. I was so stressed. I almost cried before I entered uh, the stage. But once they they said my name, I entered the stage. And uh, I think if you if you if you watch the the YouTube video. For the first 10 or 15 seconds, you can feel how stressed I am. But after 15 seconds, it's all good. And, uh, and then I did it and, uh, and we're all good and everyone was happy and I was super proud. And, uh, and yeah, great memory. And you did nail it. Um, it was an excellent TED Talk. Thanks, thanks. And now, you know, like I think uh, two, two months ago, I, I spoke to another big audience of 700 people for a photo festival in Belgium and uh, it was easy PC. So it's just the first time. It's so, so stressful, stressful, but once you, once you do it and you, you do it well, it's, uh, it's all good for the, for the next time. So yeah, it's, uh, it's a great moment of my life and very, very proud of that. 
So from that very day, I started doing conferences and uh, I just love doing that now. And so the last uh, open-ended question I wanted to, to ask was, so if we could get you a one-way ticket to anywhere and six months to just go and shoot, where would, where would we buy that ticket for you? Uh, well, there would be some, there would be definitely some, uh, some hesitation here. There's so many places I've never been yet and I want to, but the first one that come up in my mind, I would say China, maybe China, because I think, oh man, maybe India, actually India or China. I don't you know. could road trip one between the them. Ones. You could drive. We, we allow oh, that yeah, in yeah, our fictional uh, one way ticket. Well, let's make it, let's make it one year okay. then. Six months in India, India, six months in China. <laughs> I, I would love to spend so much time in, in, in both countries. And uh, I mean, they're huge countries and there's so much to, to see and to shoot and, uh, and so many different cultures there and different landscapes, obviously. So yeah, I, I know I wouldn't have enough of six months in, all, in each country, but uh, it would be a good starting point. And it, it does seem like they'd be a great fit for your mix of people and, and places. So Oh yeah, man, I'm, I'm dying to go to China and India, actually. So maybe, hopefully, I will get there this year, if not next year, for sure. Um, well, Johan, thank you so much for taking the time to share about your adventures. And uh, we'll put all the links to all of your great work in the episode notes. And uh, yeah, we hope to see more and keep up the, the beautiful work. Thank you. Thank you so much for the invite. And uh, yes, please, guys, let's, uh, let's keep in touch on Instagram. And if anyone has any question or wants to reach out, I'm always super happy to, to answer the questions. So please feel free to just pop up and say hi and uh, slide into the DMs, as we say. Great. And thank you for that openness. And thanks for taking the time today. Thank you so much. Thanks. Greener Grass is a Bluebird Botanicals podcast. Their CBD oil supports a healthy body and a strong endocannabinoid system. They've got friendly customer service who can answer any of your questions, and the number is right there at the top of their webpage. But, per the FDA, they won't be able to make any medical claims for these nutritional supplements. That's also the reason you'll hear little about CBD on this show. There's no need for us to add more evidence about CBD when a simple Google search will give you more than you can read in a month of Sundays. So this show covers the cannabis world and more with editorial freedom from Bluebird Botanicals. Thanks for joining the Greener Grass podcast. As always, our audio alchemist is Matt Payne. The Gypsy Jazz theme music comes from Brett Van Donsel. Our beautiful bird sounds are courtesy of Lang Elliott. And I'm your host, Lex Pelger, wishing you a bright green day. <laughs>